Good afternoon, everyone. This meeting will come to order. Welcome to the February 12, 2024, regular meeting of the Land Use and Transportation Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. I'm Supervisor Mirna Melgar, Chair of the Committee, joined by the Board of Supervisors President Aaron Peskin and Vice Chair Dean Preston. The committee clerk today is John Carroll, and uh, James Kawana is supporting us with SFGov TV. Thank you, James. Uh, Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcements? Yes, thank you, Madam Chair. Please ensure that you've silenced your cell phones and other electronic devices you may have brought with you into the chamber today. If you have any documents to include as part of any of the files on today's agenda, please bring them to the front rail. I'll meet you up front and I'll add those to the file. Public comment will be taken on each item on today's agenda when your item of interest comes up and public comment is called. Please line up to speak along your right-hand side of the room. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. First, you may email your written comment to me. My email address is j-o-h-n period c-a-r-r-o-l-l at sfgov.org. Or you may send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall. That's the clerk's office, room 244. And City Hall's address is 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, San Francisco, California, 94102. If you submit public comment in writing, I will forward your comments to the supervisors on this panel and also include your comments as part of the file upon which you are commenting. And finally, Madam Chair, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors agenda of February 27th, 2024, unless otherwise stated. Thank you so much, Mr. Clerk. Uh, please call item number one. Agenda item number one is an ordinance amending the planning code to designate the Grand Theater located at 2665 Mission as a landmark consistent with the standards set forth in Article 10 of the Planning Code, affirming the Planning Department's CEQA determination and making public convenience, necessity, and welfare findings under Planning Code Section 302 and findings of consistency with the general plan and the eight priority policies in Section 101.1. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, we are now joined by Anna Herrera from Supervisor Ronan's office, the sponsor of this legislation. Welcome, Ms. Herrera. Good afternoon, Chair Melgar and Supervisors Preston and Peskin. Anna Herrera on behalf of Supervisor Ronan. I'm here to highlight our strong support of recognizing this historic theater, the, uh, the Grand Theater in the Mission for Landmarking Status. The Grand Theater's location in the Mission Corridor and Calle 24 Cultural District are significant as this theater, including its marquee, is a treasured community asset going back to its early days operating as a single screen movie theater for working class families. While other historic theaters in the mission have been demolished or turned into parking lots, this theater has continued to be in community use thanks to the Gray Area, a nonprofit digital arts organization that has been a fantastic steward of the Grand Theater since their arrival 10 years ago today. Gray Area has supported countless local and by countless local and BIPOC artists, hosting community events and galleries open to the public, and most recently raised over $50,000 to reignite the Grand Theater's neon marquee sign. It would be great to keep the momentum for the Grand Theater going with your support for landmarking today. Thank you to Pilar Lavalle from planning and Barry Through and the rest of the gray area team. Thank you, Ms. Herrera. Welcome, Ms. Lavalle. I thank you. Could I have the slides from the laptop, please? Thank you. Good afternoon, Chair Melgar, um, Supervisors Preston and Peskin. I'm Pilar Lavalle, Planning Department staff. 
The Historic Preservation Commission reviewed the board-initiated landmark designation of Grand Theater at their hearing on November 15, 2023. Grand Theater, designed by well-known theater architects G. Albert Landsberg and S. Charles Lee, was constructed in 1940. The last movie theater built in San Francisco prior to World War II, it operated as a single-screen theater from 1940 through 1988. Grand Theater is historically significant for its association with the city's network of neighborhood theaters, particularly the concentration of movie theaters in the Mission District during the early to mid 20th century. Additionally, the building is also architecturally significant as it embodies the distinctive characteristics of a large-scale, streamlined, modern building that is representative of the work of two architects of merit. At their public hearing, the Historic Preservation Commission heard public comments in support of designation and voted unanimously to approve a resolution recommending landmark designation of this of Grand Theater. That concludes my presentation, unless you have any questions. Thank you. Uh, I don't see any questions from my colleagues. Ms. Lavalli, thank you so much. Um, let's go to public comment on this item, please, Mr. Clerk. Thank you, Madam Chair. If you've come to the chamber today to give public comment specific Two, agenda item number one related to landmarking the Grand Theater. Please come forward to the lectern at this time. And if you are waiting for your opportunity to give your comments, you can line up to speak along that western wall of the room. You may begin. Uh, hello and good afternoon. Uh, my name is Barry Thru. I'm the executive director of Gray Area Foundation for the Arts. Uh, we're a 15 years old nonprofit cultural center and have called the Grand Theater our home for the past 10 years. Uh, in 2014, we renovated the Grand from a discount convenience store to return it to its original purpose as a cultural resource, uh, removing linoleum, obstructions to reveal important architectural features, and relighting the original neon signage for the first time in 40 years. Uh, the Grand is one of the most versatile and accessible spaces in the Calle Venti Quattro Cultural District, where we present film, performance art, education, and exhibition events, as well as host events for many local community organizations. The unique architectural features of this building give it a character and life that greatly enhance its value as a community space. Uh, according to Americans for the Arts' latest economic prosperity calculator, our cultural usage of the Grand Theater generates 137 jobs, seven million in local income, and $240,000 in local tax revenue, and we give about 1.8 million out directly to artists uh, every year. Um, of the original five theaters on Mission Street is one of only two still existing and remaining in their intended use, given these other historic Mission Street theaters conversion into parking lots uh, or remaining fallow. We believe that this landmark designation is vital to protecting this resource for the community and necessary for our usage. Uh, we hope to remain its steward for years to come and so support this designation to ensure that the Grand's continued future um, serving the cultural fabric of San Francisco. Thank you to Super uh, Pfizer Ronan's office, Anna Herrera, uh, and the planning staff, especially Pilar Lavalle, for um, the amazing work that's gone on to this resolution. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for you. sharing your comments. Let's have the next speaker with comments on agenda item number one. Thank you. Uh, I just want to echo um, the sentiments in this room regarding the landmarking of the Grand Theater. I think it's a great idea. Um, we need more of it, not less. Um, it's just, um, it's a treasure. It's been there a long time. You know, other places they knock stuff down, but not San Francisco, not here. Okay, so I appreciate um, all of your uh, work uh, making sure that 
it is landmarked for history. I want my kids to see it. You know what they're doing? I have friends at the Chronicle. What they're doing is they're showing movies every couple of weeks, old classic movies that have been filmed in San Francisco. They're showing them in these theaters. I'm looking at them for the first time. They're showing me on Twitter. I say, wow, it's bonkers because it had a style. It had, it had, it had a unique fingerprint. Um, the, 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 the style, the architecture, the, the people that thought it up. You don't, you don't get design like that anymore. You don't get people thinking of stuff, of, of thinking of, uh, of doing stuff like that anymore. They just throw stuff up, you know, make it modern, make it, make it 2020. But this is real. This is people had nothing. People had nothing back then. And this is what they gave us. This is the legacy they're leaving behind. So I want to take my kids, I want to take my grandma even. Grandma, if you're watching, I want to take you to this theater. So thank you very much. Thank you for sharing your comments. Do we have anyone else who has public comment on agenda item number one? Madam Chair. Thank you. Public comment on this item is now closed. I'd like to make a motion that we send this uh, with positive recommendation to the full board. On the motion offered by the chair that the ordinance be sent to the Board of Supervisors with a recommendation of land use and transportation. Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes. Thank you. Please call item number two. Agenda item number two is an ordinance amending the planning code to designate the Sacred Heart Parish Complex as a landmark consistent with the standards set forth in Article 10 of the planning code, affirming the planning department's secret determination and making other appropriate findings. Thank you so much. We again have Pilar Lavalle here. Oh, uh, Supervisor President, did you want to open up uh, before Ms. Lavalle makes her presentation? I guess the question, I, you know, I'm Going to, was going to explain the basis that uh, for moving to uh, to continue this item. Uh, happy to either have the presentation, but it might make more sense to wait uh, until it's back. Okay, I'm, that's fine. We still have to take public comment on the absolutely. item because okay. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. So <laughs> I, I just to give a little con context and thank you, Chair Melgar. I, I, I want to thank all. We've heard from a number of groups who've been in touch with uh, the committee in our office uh, regarding the item that's before us today. This is an important historical site in our district and, and in District 5 and glad to be moving forward um, on landmarking this site. Uh, many are familiar with it, but among its uh, many important things, it is currently the, the home of uh, the Church of Eight Wheels. Uh, and. Uh, and uh, in addition to all of its, uh, its historical value here. So um, I, I, I do wanna recognize and thank uh, uh, Pilar Lavalle and, and uh, Rich Sucre uh, at planning, um, Diane Matsuda uh, at the HPC, Woody LeBounty at SF Heritage, and uh, Mark Reiser from the preservationist community, and also the ownership uh, who's been in, uh, in contact with our office, and including John Pollard and uh, Annabelle McClellan. Um, we were working on some amendments to respond to some of the uh, input that we'd gotten. I want to thank Peter uh, Miljanic of, of uh, City Attorney's Office for his help uh, putting those together. Had planned to offer some today, but I, I think um, after further conversations with the various stakeholders, I'm going to hold off on that and give folks a chance um, to, to meet and hopefully reach some agreements before we have this uh, back. And it's my understanding the, the property owner uh, as well as a number of the preservationists have indicated that a continuance um, could be useful to complete some of those conversations between themselves and the department uh, over draft ordinance language. Um, so 
I uh, would like to, I, I think we have no hearing next week, so uh, if, if it uh, suits the chair and with the calendar, if we could put this over to our next uh, hearing, um, and I'd like to make a motion for that continuance after public comment. Okay, sounds good. Thank you, Supervisor Preston. Um, let's go to public comment on this item. Thank you. If you have public comment for agenda item number two, please come forward to the lectern at this time. That's the landmark designation for Sacred Heart Parish. Please Good afternoon, Supervisors. <clears throat> uh, my name is Simon Yip, and I'm here to speak on behalf of the project sponsor. Um, at the request of the Historic Preservation Fund Committee on Good Faith, we are agreeing to their request uh, for a continuance to the next available uh, hearing, which is on February 26th. Uh, the San Francisco Planning Department are working through the language for the replication of features and this continuance should provide the department enough time to finalize the landmark language. Um, thank you for your time. I'm available for questions. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Do we have any other comments for agenda item number two? Madam Chair. Okay, thank you. Public comment on this item is now closed. And Supervisor Preston has made a motion to continue this. To on the motion offered. Two weeks from now. To our next item. Yeah. What's the date? Our uh, next February 26th. Thank you, yes. On the motion offered by Vice Chair Preston that the ordinance be continued to the February 26th meeting. Vice Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes once again. Uh, thank you so much, Mr. Clerk. Let's please go to item number three. We are now joined with Supervisor Ingardio, represented District 4. Agenda item number three is an ordinance amending the planning code to change the title of the Family Housing Opportunity Special Use District to the Family and Senior Housing Opportunity Special Use District. Authorize within the Special Use District the greater of up to six units per lot or one unit per thousand square feet of lot area on individual corner lots in RH districts. The greater of up to 18 units per lot or one unit per thousand square feet of lot area on corner lots resulting from three lot mergers in RH1 districts and the greater of up to 12 units per lot or one unit per thousand square feet lot area on corner lots resulting from two lot mergers in RH1 districts. Extend various development and streamlining benefits including lot merger benefits to RM1, RH2, and RH3 districts within the area of the SUD bounded by the Great Highway, Lincoln Way, 19th Avenue, and Slope Boulevard and to refine project eligibility criteria in the special use district. Amending the zoning map to reflect the re renamed family and uh, senior housing special use district, affirming the planning department's sequel determination and making other appropriate findings throughout the ordinance. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, Supervisor Angardio, did you wanna say a few words? Sure, thank you. I just wanted to um, thank the committee for uh, entertaining these amendments. Um, the intent of this is to, we all know we have to create housing, we just can't do nothing. And this is allowing for the type of housing that a lot of residents are asking for, even longtime residents. Um, gives the ability to do more senior housing, the ability to do more family housing. I, I consider the, the Gus's Market concept out at 44th and Noriega, it's a corner lot next to single family homes, but it has a grocery on the bottom floor and housing above. Uh, and I envision not every corner certainly would be impacted, but it allows the opportunity for corner lots to be anchors in the neighborhood to provide ground floor groceries or cafe or senior care or child care with the ability with an elevator buildings that people can live above. So 
that's it in a nutshell. Um, but happy to discuss it more if you like, but it'd be great if you could pass these amendments. Thank you, Supervisor Angardia. We, uh, we adopted these amendments uh, last time and we'll be voting on them today. I just wanted to give my two cents worth and thank you for um, bringing this to the committee. Um, you know, we are looking at the ways that we're gonna implement the um, housing element um, in uh, various iterations coming in front of the committee, upzoning, density decontrols, uh, looking at equity um, and density equity between the east side and the west side. And I think this uh, set of tools was not in our housing element. We did not include it. Uh, and looking at, you know, the 82,000 units that we've committed to do, um, this, I think, actually gets us a little bit more wiggle room in terms of everything else because it spreads it out um, among a greater area uh, and gives us, you know, uh, zoning value <laughs> in terms of a greater geographic area so that we have flexibility in other places where it makes sense. So I just wanted to um, just put that out there. Um, I think that we need to quantify what that is, but I think that this is smart and it gives us um, some wiggle room. So thank you so much for doing it. I appreciate it. Um, and if there's no other comments or questions from my colleagues, uh, yes, uh, President Peskin. Yeah, just in looking at the amendments that we adopted last week in the intervening week, uh, and this goes back to actually when we first were grappling over a number of meetings with the family housing SUD, um, is the change of the five-year, well, we had a five-year, one-year look back and this turns everything into a one-year look back. Um, I'm specifically referring to page eight, line 21. Um, why do we want to do that? Because, I mean, we had, we had very robust conversations on that. And if I read this correctly, this basically is revisiting the entire approved family housing opportunity SUD that we passed not too many months ago. Supervisor Angardio. Sure, uh, thanks President Peskin for uh, bringing that up. The, the change uh, was meant to make it consistent, because this the housing opportunity was passed in September, but then in December, uh, just last year, we passed housing production ordinance, and that has the, the one zero. So this was just trying to make it consistent to what we, we I think it was a nine two vote to the full board, what we passed in December. So uh, does that make sense? We were, I'm just trying to make this consistent to what was more recently passed by the board. And this. Uh, Help me, we're conforming yeah. this with what? So I can. I think Ms. Flores is here. She can perhaps answer that question. I'm showing President Peskin, this is the, um, what was passed in December, the housing uh, production. And so letter G, line uh, 10, talks about a minimum, minimum of one year. And then line 18 says, shall only apply at the time of submittal. Uh, for a lot containing two dwelling units or more, so that would be the zero. So that we passed in December, so I thought 
maybe we should make this consistent to what we had passed more recently. Hi, Ms. Flores. Thank you, Chair Melgar. Right? And um, just want to echo what Supervisor Engardio previously shared. So the um, SUD um, that's been in effect since October does base the ownership requirements based on the number of units at the property. But as the supervisor already shared, there was more recent legislation that also revisited ownership requirements. So this is to make it consistent. And that would be the uh, one-year requirement in front of us. So you're talking about the streamlining legislation? Housing constraints reduction, yes. Right. So I this to me kind of raises a larger issue, which is there's this relentless throwing of 50 and 100 page pieces of planning code month after month. And so, you know, we go and do the actual public transparent policy work here. We end up with our five year, one year split. Another 100 page piece of legislation comes along which we undermine it. I mean, my, my response is I'd like to go back to Ordinance 24823, subsection G, and go back to our five-year, one-year that we talked about and had a lot of public input, and we apparently maybe miss in the planning and subdivision uh, code so-called you know, constraints legislation. That would be my response to this. Yes, so uh, if you will remember President Peskin, that legislation, like this legislation, was a set of incentives um, and also constraints. Um, and so, you know, if had, we had not reconciled both, uh, we would lose the incentives to go this route um, as opposed to the other one. So I think it's a, it's a complicated negotiation to make sure that, you know, the incentives are there and they still work. Uh, to the advantage of, you know, going this route as opposed to the state or, you know, the constraint legislation. So I think that um, uh, you will remember that that legislation was passed with dissent. I think you voted against it, as did another member. Um, so, uh, and we were also under um, a deadline to pass that legislation. Right, and this one we're not, because as you said, it is additive but it does give us wiggle room. I, I, I hear you and I appreciate the fact that this could be seen as a upzoning under the current state mandated. Not could be, it is. Is. And then my question would be, all right, what do we want to trade it for? And how do you quantify I it? I think as each you... of us has <laughs> that calculation, that's right. Okay, Supervisor and Guardia. Thank you. I just wanted to add, I think from what I understand is unless we change what we passed in December, right, because you had suggested let's just go back and make it 5-1, right? So if, uh, if we don't do that, then it's what we passed in December stays at 1. So then folks who, if, and if ours is at 5-1, folks will just disregard what we, well, disregard this and just go to what we passed in December. Uh, and then if we won't be able to it, there'll be less viability to, to create, um, you know, because we're raising to 60 feet, so we have the elevator building and all that, so it just won't happen. I think that's, so, so the, the solution would be change what we did in December so everything's consistent or make this consistent to what we did in December. Well, let, let me, through the chair, deputy city attorney, 
Pearson. Um, I assume that to the extent that there are two different provisions in two different pieces of law, if the family and senior housing SUD had the five-year, one-year, that would control in that SUD, correct? Or Deputy City Attorney Ann Pearson, um, I'm also trying to track these things in these otherwise enormous pieces of legislation, but my understanding is that the prior constraints legislation used the one year in Section 207, having to do with the you know, eligibility for <clears throat> the streamlined density limits. Here, we're using the period of ownership as an eligibility criterion to be in this SUD. So th they're used in different sections of the law for different purposes. Right. Um, and I agree, Supervisor, that that period of ownership that's in the um, SUD would apply to any property that's there, that's located within the SUD. But again, they are used in different contexts, one in Section 207 and this um, in 249.94, which is defining the SUD. I mean, look, the, I hear, I think, what Supervisor Engardio is saying, which is the five-year look back is a disincentive. The public policy consideration that had us put that there was to disincent evictions, right? I mean, the, the notion here, it was an anti-speculation provision. So, I mean, clearly there's a public policy trade-off here, which, at least in the case of the SUD, last fall, we decided in favor of anti-speculation and in favor of eviction protection in housing constraints. Uh, with this supervisor dissenting, we decided differently, but um, as our legal counsel just advised, there's nothing that prevents us from sticking with what we started with in the family housing opportunity special use district, which is to disincent speculation. I mean, that was the notion here. Okay. Did you have something else, Supervisor Engardia? Go ahead. Yeah, just to be clear, like uh, I'm just trying to make things consistent, but uh, there are definitely um, renter protections, tenant protections, like in this, you know, that they still apply. So I, I don't want to make people Yeah, think I mean, that gets me to the next thing, which we did, and, and this is me kind of revisiting old turf. So I'm, one thing is leading to me reopening something, which is, you know, we could go revisit the the way we wrote this legislation was three or more and we could go back to page 10 line three and say demolition of any rent controlled unit i mean that's another way of getting at the same policy issue which is if we are disincenting speculation and eviction, the other way to do it is to go to page 10 where it says 
What line are you talking about? Line three. It says three or more dwelling units that are or were subject to rent control. We could say any dwelling unit that is or was subject to rent control. That's another way to deal with this issue. But right now, Supervisor Engardio is only partially correct. So, I mean, if you want a longer look back, then let's say any dwelling unit that is subject to rent control. Uh, Ms. Flores, do you have any opinions or? Um... Um, thank you, Chair Melgart. So, um, in response to President Peskin's um, suggestion of changing the, the threshold of the criteria, so that would then um, basically take the projects out of the SUD. So they would require the CUA in order to um, proceed with their project and then they would no longer be eligible. So um, that, that was um, not discussed at Planning Commission fully. We had only discussed if it was the demolition or the removal of three rent controlled units. So that is, um, a change from what we had shared with them at hearing. Yeah, it was, I mean, I think it's an amendment we can make without re-referring because it was discussed previously by planning in the original stuff that we considered in September. So I mean, it's a, I think it's a, I'm, I defer to council, but I believe it's an amendment that we can make that has been discussed by the planning commission uh, as it relates to the original fa family housing SUD um, so I don't think it has to be re-referred, but I defer to council on that. But I, I think for this supervisor anyway, it's one or the other, which is either keep the five-year look back or amend subsection 11 eligibility to any dwelling unit that is or was. Yeah. So for this supervisor, I would not, uh, you know, support that. President Peskin, because it would defeat the purpose of doing this to begin with. We're trying to have an option that is different from what was uh, proposed by the mayor's office, um, which was a streamlining of the entire city. We were trying to figure out something that was that worked for the west side in order to make the um, sort of density equity issues that we're trying to deal with a little bit more spread out rather than um, you know the way that that was otherwise presented so um, the uh, having the units be back under the uh, conditional use um, you know in I think you know I understand your uh, you know, framing it in terms of the rent-controlled units, most of these are single-family owner-occupied on corner lots. Um, so I, uh, and even the ones that are not, you know, it's mostly single-family owner-occupied. And there are folks who live, you know, in, um, you know, unpermitted dwelling units for sure, and that brings it under rent control. But we did uh, deal with that uh, in a different way, and it is dealt with under SB 330. Yes, and, yes, President Peskin. Thank you, Chair Mulgore. And I think the way we actually pretty smartly crafted the five-year, one-year was that we were at one year for exactly the building typology that you're talking about. So we were only doing the five-year look back for multi-unit buildings and the one-year look back for the single-family corner exactly right. So it, the reason I'm kind of 
a dog with a bone on this thing is I feel like we basically gave up the any unit subject to rent control for the five-year look back. And now we're giving that up in the SUD. Another thing I'll note about the SUD is, yes, it's the west side of the city, but it's also the north side of the city. So it's not just, I mean, it's not completely a west side thing. I mean, it extends all the way from district, you know, it's got four and one and two and three. I mean, there's... Yeah, but only RH within those districts. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but RH is in all, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's RH in, in three, two, one, and four. I mean, so there's, it's not just a west side phenomenon, but I still, I, I still think that, I mean, I think the easiest thing to do is just keep the old scheme in subsection 10, which is that the project sponsor has owned the subject lot for a minimum of five years if the site contains two or more dwelling units or a minimum of one year if the site contains one or fewer dwelling units. Okay, thank you, uh, President Peskin. Um, I'm curious to um, whether this was one of the modifications that was specifically requested by the Planning Commission. I didn't watch that hearing. I probably should have. Yeah, and I, I don't think it was in your, your I mean, it, this No, is, it wasn't. It but, was not in your original, but, yeah. But we did reconcile a bunch of the stuff that was in mine after subsequent legislation passed. Um, this change was not in response to a planning commission recommended modification for the one five ownership change. Okay, thank you. Um, let's uh, go to public comment on this item then. Thank you, Madam Chair. If you have public comment specific to agenda item number three, the Family and Senior Housing Opportunity Special Use District, please come forward to lectern for your time. Please begin. Eileen Bogan with Speak, following up on Speak's written comments, strongly urging the committee to either table or oppose this legislation. It's premature as the mayor's housing for all legislation hasn't been finalized. Also, the financial feasibility study on the housing for all legislation hasn't been released. Uh, this is a lot merger legislation. The Gus's Market project is not widely supported in District 4 as a prototype, and neither is Demicity. Uh, the SUD boundaries do not include the Lakeshore and Merced Manor neighborhoods, even though wide streets such as Sloat and Ocean could accommodate density. Amit Ghosh, as acting planning uh, director under Willie Brown, said the city should be like Paris. So the uh, Paris in the Sunset concept is not new news. Thank you. Thank you, Eileen Boken, for sharing your comments. Let's have the next speaker for agenda item number three. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Chris Ward-Klein, and I just wanted to say thank you for bringing this important issue to the forefront. And from listening to the comments of the committee, it sounds like um, I'm going to defer for each of you to make the right decision. It sounds like you will. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Do we have anyone else has public comment on agenda, agenda item number three? Please come forward at this time. Hi. The obvious lack of the general public at this meeting only shows the secrecy of what's going on here. The Gus's building has nothing to do with this. This is about denser public housing. The idea that a scene, oh, I might as well just read this, it's easier. 
The sponsor's special use district needs do not exist. The idea that a senior would downsize from a 1,000-foot or 2,000-foot square home with a garage and yard to a condo with close neighbors, limited or no parking, no private backyard is absurd. Do not forget about HOA fees. The idea that a compound built on a corner will not affect the entire neighborhood is absurd. The amount of congestion will be much worse because I doubt adequate parking will be included so that the greedy developers will be able to build as many units as possible. The idea of a corner store is ludicrous. There is currently no parking 20 feet from a corner. Rent on a newly built space will not be low. Furthermore, most people do not want to live where there is a business in their building. The noise from the business and customers will not let people feel safe, especially people with children and seniors. Businesses are closing every week in San Francisco. A small, most likely overpriced store has no chance of survival. This was all brought up in our last meeting. The map that was shown in the last meeting was not anywhere where in the paperwork that I saw um, for this meeting. And it is the joining of lots to build large buildings will disturb all around them. The drainage from large storms will make flooding more likely. This is, whole proposal is only in the interest of yes in my backyard and greedy developers who fund them. SF is already plagued by anti-senior and disabled policy. This idea is included. This will only make neighborhoods not a neighborhood. Thank you for sharing your comments. Okay. Do we have anyone else who has public comment on agenda item number three? Madam Chair. Okay, with that, public comment on this item is now closed. President Peskin. Through the chair to Deputy City Attorney Pearson, um, if we just keep the language in subsection 10, the language that is stricken, in other words, we go back to the original language, has owned the subject lot for a minimum of five years if the site contains two or more dwelling units or a minimum of one year if the site contains one or fewer dwelling units. That is not substantive and we could vote on that now. Question mark. Deputy City Attorney Ann Pearson, I don't think I can sign off on any amendments today because the legislation is so large, so complicated, and interacts with so many other pieces of legislation that I would want to confirm that we could make that amendment in isolation. So my recommendation would be that you could continue the item, you could duplicate the item, move one forward, and keep this one here so we could, can answer that question for you next week. You, but you could figure out the answer. I mean, this is yeah. the language that no, you already approved and is the law today. So in order to keep the existing law, the world has gotten so complicated that you can't tell us that we can keep the law that is the law? No. What I want to make sure that we would do is make any conforming am amendments elsewhere in the legislation. I don't know if this appears just in isolation or if other changes are warranted. Ah. We, is it okay if we continue it? Sure you know, a couple weeks. We don't have a meeting next week. That's the, um, I just wanted to chime in that I did specifically negotiate just about every aspect of this SUD with HCD. So I think this is okay uh, in that respect. Our HCD whisperer. I'm just saying. It's, it's been. <laughs> uh, so. Um, I'll make a motion to continue this item to our next meeting.
Motion has been offered by Member Peskin to continue this item to the February 26th Land Use and Transportation Committee meeting. On that motion, Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes. Thank you so much. Uh, that item is continued. Um, thank you, Supervisor yeah. Angardio. Uh, let's go then to uh, item number four. Agenda item number four is an ordinance amending the planning code to clarify the ministerial approval process for certain accessory dwelling units meeting certain requirements in single-family and multifamily buildings and to permit certain ADUs in the rear yard under the city's local discretionary approval program, making findings under the California Environmental Quality Act, making findings of consistency with the general plan and other various code sources throughout the books. Okay, uh, President Peskin, so we duplicated this file. You uh, were gonna work on some of these amendments. Um, I did uh, do my homework and reached out to folks at HCD. I have not yet had the opportunity to speak with them uh, about these issues, but uh, do you have any remarks? I do, and thank you for, um, as I said in our last item, your willingness to uh, work with the state um, and thank you for uh, the opportunity to duplicate the file and um, see if we can do things here locally that meet our uh, historic commitment not only to affordable housing but uh, to San Francisco mechanisms um, like rent control um, and uh, so I asked to duplicate the file so that I could introduce another version which would make some uh, small but important changes uh, to the state program, which would incentivize the local program, uh, which, as I said last week, um, is objectively better than the state program because it requires rent control. And um, so I want to keep this version alive to fully investigate whether we can apply rent control um, as much as possible as new ADUs are developed and find out to what extent the state is willing to uh, stand in the way or get out of the way. And these amendments do uh, three things. First, uh, they retain the two ADU limit in the hybrid ADUs instead of three. Um, this acts on an ambiguity in state law to send more ADUs to the local uh, program instead of to the state program, and those changes are at page 35, lines 19 through 20. I think I had, I did you give did. those to you, good. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it improves the historical designation language in the hybrid program by adding that California register eligible properties, or California register properties are eligible um, at page 34, lines 16 through 17. Uh, and it also uh, adds a 60-day approval timeline for the local program to make it as appealing as the state program, um, to bring it, uh, to bring those into alignment and further incentivize uh, the creation of rent-controlled units. That part will have to be re-referred to the Building Inspection Commission. So hopefully, while you are working your magic with HCD, um, the Building Inspection Commission can look at this. So my hope is to make these amendments today, continue it to the call of the chair, uh, and wish you all of the all of your good talent. Uh, in your discussions with HCD while the Building Inspection Commission is uh, considering the 60-day provision. And that is on page 57. 
and page 58. Okay, thank you, uh, President Peskin, for working on these amendments. Um, and if and thank you to Peter Milinich for working quickly. Okay, if there's no other comments or questions from my colleagues, let's go to public comment on this item. Thank you so much. If you have a public comment on agenda item number four, please come forward to the lectern at this time. Madam Chair, it appears we have no speakers. Okay, public comment on this item is now closed. Uh, I think President Peskin made a, a motion to adopt these amendments. So moved. On the motion offered by Member Peskin to amend the ordinance as he presented. Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Your vote, Member aye. Peskin. <laughs> Peskin, I, I heard Preston, but it was Peskin. <laughs> Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes on the motion to amend. Thank you. And I'd like to make a motion that we continue this uh, item as amended to the call of the chair. On the motion offered to continue as amended to the call of the chair, Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes once again. Thank you. Uh, that motion passes. Uh, let's go to item number five, please. Agenda item number five is an ordinance amending the planning code to allow form-based density in residential commercial, residential transit-oriented neighborhood commercial and certain named neighborhood commercial districts, except for specified lots located in the Priority Equity Geography Special Use District. Amending the Priority Equity Geography Special Use District, affirming the Planning Department's CEQA determination and making findings of convenience and welfare under Planning Code Section 302 and findings of consistency with the general plan and the eight priority policies of Planning Code Section 101.1. Okay, so we have Audrey Merloni here to answer any questions. I don't think you have a presentation because we had continued this item because President Peskin had amendments, but I, I will turn it over to you now. To me? Yeah. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. So uh, I have amend amendments drafted, but uh, am waiting for them to be approved as to form. Um, by way of background, uh, this, is, this legislation uh, proposes form-based density um, and uh, density decontrols. Um, and we're going to deal with this actually in the next item. Uh, but we have come to discover as we density decontrolled the C2 that uh, with form-based density that you can end up with heights far exceeding the zoned height limits. And that indeed is what we found out in the C2 when um, I naively admittedly said, of course we want more density in the C2 and did not realize that you could end up with proposals, I kid you not, for 267 foot towers uh, near the Embarcadero in areas zone 65 feet. Um, so I think there is uh, a way that we can um, address this, and I've been discussing that with uh, Director Hillis um, by directing folks kind of in the same way that we have done with ADUs, that we've done with Home SF, to a San Francisco uh, program, and that will be, um, in essence, what these uh, amendments do. The, the other thing, and 
this has been something that has been a reoccurring theme as well, is that we're being asked to make these changes um, in exchange for nothing. And we have a robust uh, history of actually getting things like affordability, like rent control, and we did that in our fourplex legislation. Uh, we did that actually a long time ago in our initial ADU legislation. We did that in our uh, own local density program uh, that then Supervisor Tang pioneered Home SF. We did that in your housing SUD legislation, um, and I think that there uh, definitely is an opportunity here to get rent control for density above ba base density. So that is the, um, is the thrust of the amendments. They are not ready yet, but uh, su uh, Supervisor, Deputy City Attorney, the 12th member of the Board of Supervisors, and Pearson can attest that they are um, very close, and I appreciate the fact that we have continued this, but they will be ready, I am assured, for our next meeting. Okay, sounds good, thank you. I mean, we it is on the agenda, so we'll take public comment on this. Um, Supervisor Preston, did you have uh, comments? Thank you, Chair Malgar, and uh, hearing President Peskin, I don't know the extent to which there might be amendments, as we all know, because of uh, the Brown Act, we don't get to uh, sit down and hash these things out, but um, we had asked for what I think is a, a more limited amendment that the city attorney's office uh, is preparing, but is not approved as to form as of today, on the issue that I raised um, at the previous hearing uh, and had an exchange um, with uh, Mr. Starr from uh, planning, um, on um, the, the the fact that we're not, as Supervisor uh, Peskin noted, we're not getting back any additional affordability in exchange for the density decontrol, which my understanding is that part of the justif or the justification for that is the analysis of feasibility right now of these projects. Um, so. Uh, and, and thank you, Mr. Starr, for providing the, the referenced feasibility report um, after that last hearing. Um, but it does raise for me the issue and, I, and, and the amendments that we've asked uh, for address this, which is if we're doing this as a temporary, if we're addressing temporary market conditions uh, and we want to, facilit to facilitate these projects through density decontrol, um, there should be a time limit on that decontrol. Uh, and so that's what the amendment we've asked for would be for a uh, several year periods, basically so that when we're looking and reassessing the, um, the, the feasibility of these projects with higher levels of inclusionary, uh, when we come back at the end of that three year period and reassess that, that we can also be reassessing whether we wanna continue uh, the, the full density decontrol without more affordability or whether we wanna uh, include increased affordability requirements as uh, in exchange for ongoing decontrol. So, so be, uh, it's targeted amendment, my understanding from Deputy City Attorney uh, Pearson is that it will be ready and approved to form by the next land use hearing. A and also that it will not be, uh, that what we are proposing would not be a sub substantive amendment. So I, I can't speak to President Peskin's amendments, but that's my understanding of uh, the amendment that we're proposing would not be substantive, so it would not require a further continuance. 
Okay, thank you, uh, Supervisor uh, Preston. So I am a co-sponsor of this legislation. I believe in this. You know, this is um, density decontrols on very specific uh, corridors in areas in the city. Um, from an urban planning perspective, you know, I sponsored the family housing SUD, now family housing senior SUD, um, because we wanted to see larger units in the mid block, in the west side, uh, which is, you know, housing for larger, uh, you know, families and, you know, uh, units that have a minimum of two bedrooms. And uh, on commercial corridors close to transit, you know, I'd like to see uh, smaller units, units that support single folks or seniors, people who need to be on commercial corridors close to public transportation. And so to me, it makes sense from a form, uh, you know, perspective. I, I want to make sure that it works um, and that it's compliant with all of the other promises that we've had to do. If it takes us a little time to get there, I think that's okay. We're not under like a big deadline. So um, I uh, would like to give us some time to work out um, the uh, amendments that my colleagues are proposing and to talk to constituents and, you know, to get this right. So uh, I will propose that we actually, um, you know, uh, continue this to the first meeting in March. Um, that way, you know, we don't stress our city attorneys. Uh, and we could also have uh, conversations with folks to get this right and with the planning department, if that's okay. Uh, so let's take public comment because we have to do that. It's on the agenda. Thank you, Madam Chair. If you have public comment on agenda item number five, please come forward to the lectern at this time. Good afternoon, Supervisors Jake Price with the Housing Action Coalition. Um, I share the sentiments of Supervisor Melgar in that I think this is sound policy. We want to make sure it works and we want to make sure it's compliant. Um, so this strategy of continuing it forward and working out these amendments uh, makes sense on its face to me. And I would just like to urge um, folks, as they are making amendments, to consider the compliance. I understand that there's a diverse perspective on this body of HCD's involvement, but it is also, at the end of the day, uh, they are going to be involved. So let's make sure that they are compliant and there is no rush to get this right. So thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Can we get the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, Supervisor Jane Natoli with SFMB. Uh, I guess I'll wait to see what some of these amendments look like, but I do appreciate the process. I know it takes time. Uh, again, I, I'm eager to see what this looks like. I think this is a space with some good opportunities. Um, devil's always in the details when working at any of these things, so we'll see a little bit more. Um, but I, I look forward to increasing some of these opportunities. I can think of some of those spaces I've seen throughout the city that would benefit from this uh, you know, as as proposed right now, and there's more work to do, uh, but there's certainly some places that there are opportunities that this will help open up, help get us to that number uh, as we look at our housing element goals. And as Jake said before me, you know, um, it's part of our compliance as we're going towards that number, as we're looking towards trying to figure out how to do this. So figuring out how this is a part of it is important. So I'll keep my eyes open when we get closer to what those amendments look like and how this is proceeding. Thank you for your work. Thank you for sharing your comments. Do we have anyone else who has public comment on agenda item number five? Madam Chair. Okay, public comment on this item is now closed. Uh, so I'd like to make a motion that we continue this item until our meeting on March 4th. 
on the motion offered by the chair that this ordinance be continued to the March 4th Land Use and Transportation Committee meeting. Vice Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes. Okay, that motion passes. Thank you. Um, let's please, Mr. Clerk, go to item number six. Agenda item number six is an ordinance amending the planning code to modify density limits in C2 districts east of Columbus Avenue and north of Washington Street, affirming the Planning Commission's CEQA determination, making uh, public convenience, necessity, and welfare findings under Planning Code Section 302 and making findings of consistency with the general plan and the eight priority policies. Okay, thank you so much, Mr. Clerk. Uh, President Peskin. Thank you, Chair, Chair Melgar, and thank you for sponsoring this. As I discussed in the last item, uh, the well-intended changes uh, to the C2 that were part of a larger legislative package having to do with adaptive reuse of vacant commercial downtown office buildings to residential included uh, density decontrol for the C2 zoned areas of San Francisco, which are for the most part along the northeast waterfront stretching from Fisherman's Wharf uh, to downtown um, on the eastern side of Telegraph Hill between the Embarcadero and Sansom Street. Um, it has become clear since we have passed that legislation that the combination of form-based density with state density bonus uh, has led to the supercharging of heights where we now have three projects uh, in, depending on where you are, 65 foot to 84 foot zone districts that are proposing glass and steel towers uh, over 200 feet definitely not what we intended. Um, and this is uh, designed to reverse um, the worst aspects of that. Uh, there are any number of examples, including 1088 Sansom, a proposal to build a 267-foot tower in the city-designated Northeast Waterfront Historic District on a uh, contributory Category A historic building uh, and to rip that down and uh, build that tower. I don't think that that is what planning intended. It is not what uh, we intended. And um, the legislation that is before you was uh, reviewed by the Planning Commission, which recommended it to the board with amendments that are reflected here, um, which uh, limit that reinstatement of numerical density controls to the Northeast Waterfront Historic District and the city's original uh, first designated historic district from the 1960s, the Jackson Square Historic District, uh, and adds a little sliver to the Jackson Square Historic District that uh, has long been slated for designation called the Jackson Square Historic District Extension, which are two blocks that adjoin um, the historic district that are all uh, National Register eligible Category A buildings um, that uh, were built between uh, 1865 and the turn of the last century, bounded by Broadway to the north, Sansom to uh, the east, Kearney to the west, and the existing Jackson Square Historic District to the south. Um, these uh, amendments are, have just been distributed to you and were emailed to you earlier and um, are 
pretty straightforward, and I want to thank Director Hillis and the Planning Commission for their recommendations and Deputy City Attorney Audrey Pearson for her work. Thank you, President Peskin. Uh, did uh, anyone from planning have a presentation or? Thank you, Chair Melgar, Audrey Merloni from the planning department. Um, Supervisor Peskin summarized the, the commission's uh, recommendations pretty well, but just to make sure we're clear on what those were. Um, when they heard this item on January 18th of this year, they proposed to limit the reinstatement of numeric density controls to uh, demolition and new construction projects within the Northeast Waterfront Historic District and the Jackson Square Historic District, and also to allow projects that utilize our commercial to residential adaptive reuse program within the Northeast Waterfront Historic District and the Jackson Square Historic District to utilize form-based density controls. Thank you. Okay, uh, so before we go to public comment, I have to say that um, I am not feeling this legislation, uh, President Peskin. Um, I, you know, we adopted the housing element with a um, framework, um, and the planning department went to great pains to speak to uh, folks in the community about the racial justice and the environmental justice um, underpinnings of that framework. Um, so uh, I understand that historic preservation of uh, the waterfront is important to you. Um, this is not an equity community or a uh, environmental justice community. Um, I think that we are setting a dangerous precedent for other communities around the city uh, who uh, are historic or want to be historic to exempt themselves from uh, the state density bonus and other incentives that there are uh, for development of housing that we have promised. And so I um, understand what you're trying to do. Uh, and I uh, also had a long conversation with a city attorney. And, uh, you know, I I'm assured that it is compliant you know, with HCD, um, it is philosophically not something that I am feeling right now. So, um, yes, President Peskin. And if I may try to convince you otherwise, <laughs> um, this was not implicated in the housing element at all. This actually is a result of a completely different, very specific response to uh, the issues that we were facing downtown. And if you look at that legislation, that legislation was really about incentivizing and streamlining vacant commercial to residential. This area has actually never been a residential area. It's always been a warehouse area, an office area. Uh, it has almost no residential in it uh, since, since its inception. Um, and so this is, and it is the combination of density decontrol with state density bonus, which is exactly a problem. I mean, I think this is exactly a problem that we're facing in equity geographies, non-equity geographies throughout the city. But this is, in, and, and if it weren't for the state overlay and the ability to do this, we could go back to doing our zoning and not worrying about neighborhoods having 
impact that really is deleterious. I mean, whether it's 50-story buildings on the great highway or what have you that are anathema virtually to all of us. But this is in no way implicated by the housing element whatsoever. No, I realize that. Uh, and I also remember the legislation that you co-sponsored uh, with Mayor Breed, and I actually rode my bike <laughs> in front of the press conference when you had it by your babuena, uh, you know, coincidentally. I, I remember that well. And I real, and I, as I said, I had a long conversation with the city attorney. I understand this is not in contradiction to our housing element, and that, that legislation predated SB 330. So I understand that. And as I said, I think it's a, a philosophical uh, issue that I'm having with um, you know, exempting uh, an area, which, as you very well stated, wasn't residential um, to begin with. Uh, but as I remember, the adaptive reuse legislation also did not allow for the use of the density bonus, the state density bonus. No, you can still, you, you could use the state density bonus now with this legislation, without this legislation, state density bonus can still be used. You just can't supercharge it and the supercharging is happening because of the density decontrol, which okay. was completely unintended, I think, by us, by planning. I don't think anybody ever thought they were going to see 250, 260-foot towers in 40-foot districts, I would, or 65-foot districts. I would actually argue that relative to our making the rest of our changes work, these are the kind of assurances we want to give people, neighbors, neighborhoods that um, we're getting this right. I mean, so I philosophically, respectfully disagree. Okay, thank you, President Peskin. Let's go to public comment on this item. Thank you. If you have public comment on agenda item number six, please come forward to the lectern at this time. And if you're waiting for your opportunity to speak, please line up to speak along the western wall of this room and come forward when the speaker ahead of you has concluded. First speaker, please. Put that up in just a few minutes. Hi, folks. Uh, good afternoon. I'm Stan Hayes. I'm the president of the Telegraph Hill Dwellers. And on behalf of THD's more than 500 members, we support strongly the legislation that's before you, and we ask you to recommend its passage to the full board. This legislation merely restores the previous status quo of C2 zoning before passage of downtown adaptive reuse legislation, legislation that we support. As an unintended consequence of that complex legislation directed at downtown, though, long-standing density limits in C2 zoning districts in certain portions of the city were modified from explicit numerical limits to form-based densities. All of this was done by a simple change of a few words in a footnote, footnote 8, in the Planning Code Table 210.1, a wording change that needs to be fixed. Already we're seeing its negative and unintended effects. And if you could put up this, please. As you can see in this figure, as you can see in this figure, developers are seeking to exploit this seemingly minor wording change right in the Northeast Waterfront Historic District, towering over historic buildings nearby. At 955 Sansom, a proposed state density bonus high-rise tower has grown to 267 feet, more than three times its 84-foot height limit, more than three times taller than any other building in the historic district. At 1088 Sansom, a block away, another 65 feet, zoning 260, 206 feet tall. Our members and many others are angry about this, as you may have noticed by the more than 200 emails you've gotten from them. 
They don't want high-rise luxury towers encroaching on the waterfront. Please recommend passage of this legislation before you to the full Board of Supervisors. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Let's have the next speaker, please. Uh, good afternoon, Jake Price with the Housing Action Coalition again. I am uh, in speaking in opposition to this legislation because I'm worried that it is effectively a downzoning, and we have seen how downzonings impact Bay Area housing affordability, whether it's Berkeley, whether it's the hate in the 1970s. It does not lead to more housing. It does not lead to more affordability, and it damages communities in the process. And I'm just, I do not think that this sets a good precedent for where we want to be going with housing policy. So respectfully asking uh, to not move this legislation forward. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Let's have the next speaker, please. Good afternoon, Jane Natoli with SFUMB. Uh, registering our opposition to this. I. I just don't like to see this precedent set. I know that this was a change, but I don't think these are just unintended consequences. These are homes that people will live in. We have a housing shortage. This is an area of the city that, uh, as Chair Melgar noted, it's, it's not a priority equity geography or anything like that. Uh, and while it did used to be more industrial, times have changed. This is an area of opportunity. We've seen that there can be changes in neighborhoods over time when you think about Mission Bay, when you think about the dog patch, places that we've built homes. The Northeast waterfront can be like that too. And we can have a lot of people living there that have access to the many wonderful amenities nearby. So I'm concerned about the potential downzoning and the effects that that might have. And then the chain of effects as well as to who else might have a reason that they don't want to participate in this. While I know all of this is difficult and we're crafting this, these kinds of legislation, <laughs> certainly while balancing a lot of competing interests, I think this is an area where we do have opportunity and I would like to see this not change because I think these are a benefit to our community and to our city. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Do we have any further comments on agenda item number six? Madam Chair. Public comment on this item is now closed. President Peskin, would you like to make a motion? Sure, I would like to make a motion to adopt the amendments that I have described and distributed. On the motion offered by Member Peskin that the ordinance be amended as presented, Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes. And then I would like to make an amendment to send the item as amended with recommendation. On the motion offered by Member Peskin that the ordinance be recommended as amended, Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. No. Melgar, no. Madam Chair, there are two ayes and one no with yourself in the dissent. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, Mr. Clerk, are there any other items on our agenda? There's no further business. Okay. Thank you so much. We are adjourned.